Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So this is a Psalm of David, Psalm 103. So off David, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. I'm going to pray for Dan as he comes up. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we thank you in advance for the proclamation of your word. And I pray that it would, it would touch and it would transform our hearts. That as Dan speaks, your spirit would move and it would, wouldn't just challenge our hearts, but it would change our hearts. And I pray that you would help foster and stir up this attitude of gratitude in our worship toward you this coming week in your name. Amen. Beautiful. Thanks, Matt. Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to have to be with you guys today. So it's a real privilege to be sharing today. As I said, my name's Dan. I joined this church in about 2021 with my wife, Jess, at the back there, and we have our young son, Ethan, who we've all heard uh, already today, four months old. He's very excited about the Psalms, so that's one of the reasons he will be talking to us. But I'm not sure how your camping experience has been in the past. Um, uh, now, I'm from South Africa, so we are big camping fans, right? We love to be out in the bush. We love to have a nice fireplace going with uh, cooking meat over the fire and that kind of thing like that. Now, I don't know about your camping experience. Perhaps your camping experience looked a little bit like this. 
good atmosphere, good people, everybody getting along, you know, lovely views, lovely feud, everything great. But perhaps your camping experience looked a little bit like this gentleman over here, and perhaps that was the last day you ever went camping again. Now, perhaps you, you looked like this guy, and hopefully not, but a little bit like this guy perhaps as well, um, a very famous picture on the internet there. So tonight, we obviously are going through a series on Psalms. Uh, Matthew kicked it, kicked it off last week. And tonight we've got three aims, right? The first aim is for us to remember not to forget God's benefits. The second thing is to remind us that worship is just not something that we do just on a Sunday. And the last thing, of course, we're going to talk about camping and answer the question, where are you pitching your tent with Jesus today? So before we get into the verses, um, a little bit about the psalm that we're looking at, 103. It's written by David. Now, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says that uh, David, who was under a lot of distress, it says, David strengthened himself in his God. And we might ask ourselves, how does one strengthen themselves in their God? Well, they remember what God has done. They remember who he is, right? And that's exactly what David does in this particular psalm. We find a list of thanksgiving. We find gratitude by David. Now, gratitude, as we all know, science tells us, has overwhelming positive benefits for us, right? So if we're thankful in our lives, uh, it can improve our mood, it can improve our interpersonal relationships, um, it can improve our immune system, all these sort of things. Um, now, this psalm, it's, it's pure praise, really. It's gospel praise. You know, many songs have actually been written about this particular song. Um, it is well with my soul, as far as East is from the West, and 10,000 reasons. And it's pure praise. There's no sort of mention of historical occurrence here. Um, you know, there's no occasion, you know, that, that many psalms kind of talk about. Um, you know, we have no knowledge of any external circumstance that's kind of promoting this, this psalm of praise. Um, it seems not, not necessarily motivated by an occurrence in life, but more sort of a way of life, right, that's universally applicable for us as believers. And that's a, quite a unique psalm, actually, because there's no enemies mentions, there's no foes, there's no threats, um, you know, there's no uh, requests, no complaints, no petitions. It's pure worship, pure joyful worship. Um, it describes the majesty of the Father, his fullness, his beauty, his holiness. It's true worship that comes from the depths of David's soul. Now, one commentator talks about the psalm and says, it's perhaps the most perfect song of pure praise ever found in the Bible. Through centuries, it's been sung by glad hearts, and today it's as fresh and as full of beauty as ever. Um, so it's a call to worship, and there's essentially three parts in the psalm, right? The first, first part we're going to look at, verse 1 to 5, it's a call to worship, really, from David's own, own soul. The second part is from 6 to 18, he moves from this internal kind of perspective to an external perspective, where he looks at what has God done for all people. And then the last section, he goes from external to universal, where it's a universal call to worship. Now, worship is something that's actually quite dear to my heart. Um, no surprises there. And you might say to me, Dan, worship, do we really have to do worship every Sunday? You know, it's a bit of a loss. You know, I don't have a lot of time for that. I'd rather do other stuff. I've got much more important things to do with my life. For example, the second season of Toddlers and Tiaras is not going to watch itself. So, you know, um, but A.W. Tozer 
he wrote this book called The Purpose of Man. I don't know if you've read it, but in it he says, God wants worshippers before he wants workers, right? We often want to kind of like do stuff for God, but we forget sometimes that he wants us before he wants us to work for him, right? God doesn't need us to, to work for him in that sense. Um, you know, our, our work is only acceptable to God if our worship is acceptable to God, right? If we aren't doing things out of love, what does Paul tell us in his church to, the letter, uh, to, to Corinth in that letter? He says, well, we gain nothing, right? Um, Tozer continues, he says, if worship bores you, you aren't ready for heaven, right? We see a picture of heaven in the book of Revelation where we see worship is actually the very atmosphere of heaven, right? Focusing on the person of Jesus. Now, does that mean that we're going to be in heaven sitting around, you know, singing songs 24-7? No, I don't think so. We'll be worshiping God with our lips, yes, but also with our lives, which is something that we're called to do in this age as well. So hopefully that's warmed you up a little bit. Is everyone okay so far? That was just our introduction. Are we still okay? All right, good. So uh, yeah, let's get into the psalm here. So our first section, as I said, this is David bringing himself to worship. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Now, what does this mean, right? Well, the word praise in Hebrew, borak, it basically means to bless, right? The idea of kneeling as an act of adoration. You know, worship is not just a genre of music. It's a posture of our hearts, okay? Um, you know, the ESV translates this as, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, right? So we've got, bless the Lord is almost synonymous with praise the Lord. Um, you know, in Psalm 30, 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my heart. So on that particular verse, John Piper actually says, well, here we have bless and praise kind of synonymous alongside one another. So there's certainly an argument that one can use them uh, interchangeably to some degree. It says, all my inmost beings, you know, all my faculties, you know, this is loving the Lord with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind. You know, David, he's kind of preaching to himself here, right? He's saying, soul, come on, wake up, look what God has revealed, look what he has um, done for us, you know? He's almost like he's uh, trying to get his car going, and he's in first gear trying to get the car moving down, down the road, you know? Um, now, Paul Tripp, he says, no one is more influential in your life than you, because no one talks to you more than you do. It's a fact that you and I are in an endless conversation with ourselves. Now, that's why I believe complaining can be so damaging in our lives, right? It impacts your heart. You kind of believe what you're complaining about. Um, you know, I'm bad, you know, this is bad, I'm left out, I'm a failure, I don't have that, you know, I'm not as good as that person, I don't have enough, all of these types of things. And if that's the main dialogue of your heart, what you're doing there is you are renewing your mind in unbelief. You're confessing it with your mouth and you're sealing it in your heart, right? It's, it's definitely true that complaining actually hurts the complainer more than it does those around them. So the question is, I guess, well, how much do we, on the one hand, kind of thank and praise God uh, versus, on the other hand, kind of asking God for stuff and complaining about things? Now, your graph might look a little bit like this. This is my Excel skills, um, where there's a lot of asking and complaining kind of going on, not too much thanksgiving, um, really, but, you know, what would our lives look like if our graphs looked a little bit more like this? Now, this is not scientific, obviously, but it's just important to say, obviously, asking God for things is good. We must petition. We must pray, of course, but if we're only coming to God and just asking Him for stuff the whole time, if that's our whole relationship, I think we've missed things a little bit. Verse 2, forget not all His benefits. In other words, 
I'm not going to neglect anything that you've made available to me, you know. That's every, every gift, every blessing, every kindness, every providence. Um, you know, we mustn't forget here. God doesn't just, just want us to sort of love him. Of course, that's true, but he wants us to relate to him with the confidence that what he says about us is actually true. Amen? amen. There we go. Thanks, Maffy, for that amen. <laughs> Verse 3, it says here, he... he um, forgives our sins. Now, David had plenty of sins, didn't he, right? He broke the majority of the Ten Commandments. Um, and even though he wrote the psalm, I sneakily think this is his favorite verse in the Bible. Um, forget not his sins and forgive not his sins. And I think it's significant to point out, David's now introducing this list of benefits for us to remember. And this is the first one he puts at the top of the list. So perhaps in David's mind, this is kind of the most significant one. Um, then it says, he heals our diseases. He has another benefit, right? Um, and healing is available in this life, and we must contend for it. We must pray for it. But we know that healing, we only receive that in part in this age. And ultimate healing and full healing will come in the age to come. Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit. Another translation says he redeems your life from destruction, right? So what are we talking about here? This is redemption. This is restoration from our circumstances. And it's connected to resurrection, right? We will rise from the grave um, and be glorified one day. Psalm 49, 15 says, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Now, we know that David, his life had a quite a bit of destruction in it, right? So some of that destruction was brought on by what other people were kind of doing to him. They were mistreating him sort of unjustly and that kind of thing. But another part of the destruction in his life was kind of brought on by his own behavior, right? Um, can anybody remember any of David's sins? Anyone? Adultery. Adultery. Good. With Bathsheba. Number one. Anybody else? Murder. murder. There we go. He was involved in a murder, murder with Uriah. Um, so some serious, serious stuff. So here we have some amazing benefits we've seen so far. So forgiveness of sin, right? Diseases being healed. Redemption from the grave. Now, I think a lot of people, they kind of camp out in their failure sometimes because maybe their life has a certain disappointment in it and they don't interact with God enough who can, on that matter and he can sort of redeem them from that, that failure or that destruction. Um, but then there's other people who kind of camp out in, well, I've been mistreated, you know, it's been unfair in my life and the way that people have kind of treated me. Um, and maybe those people have a form of bitterness or unforgiveness in their life. But David says here, no, I'm not pitching my tent in either of those places. Why? Because I have been redeemed. Yes, my life has got failure in it. Yes, my life has sins in it. But I trust in your ability, God, to turn that thing around. And I mean, if we think about Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, what do we know about him? Well, he was sold into slavery by his own family, his brothers. You know, he ends up in a prison. Um, you know, if ever there was somebody in the Bible who, we'd, who we would think could perhaps have a bit of residue of unforgiveness or bitterness in his life, probably Joseph would be the number one pick, right? We'd be like, fair enough, Joseph. Um, you know, he's, he's ultimately in a pit, and then he, he ends up in Pharaoh's court, right? He's working there. Um, so his life, he's gone from a prison, basically, to a throne room. And Joseph says, no, no, I'm not going to camp out in bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm going to choose to forgive my brothers, and his life was ultimately better for it. And similarly, we have David in, this, in the psalm. He says, you know, the enemy's narrative is not going to dominate my life. When the enemy comes to me and says, I'm disqualified from God's blessing and God's love because of my sin, David says, no, 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 the word of God is my testimony. It's my confession. That's what I hold on to. You know, Revelation, uh, in the book of Revelation, it says, they've conquered him by the blood of the lamb. And by what? The word of his testimony. There we go. And that's how I relate to God. I remember his benefits. I remember who he is. And we should be doing that as well, right? 
verse 4, it says, he crowns you with love and compassion. So what's going on here? God's greatness extends beyond sparing us from sin, disease, and destruction. Um, you know, in the Hebrew here, it means kindness, a love that is merciful. So here, God, he crowns us like royal sons and daughters with heavenly benefits. Verse 5, he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. And today, God wants to bring true satisfaction to our lives. You know, this satisfaction can become a source of strength and energy for us. You know, James chapter 1, it says, every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above. And many believers I've seen, you know, they talk about burnout. They talk about being disengaged. They talk about feeling far from God. You know, when we hear this kind of thing from, from our friends, you know, this what this means is people have maybe they're drawn back a little bit, they, they're mistreated, they may be disappoint, disappointed, they're hurt, maybe the church they've been at has, has been a challenge for them. And David says here in verse 5, I can be renewed in my spirit no matter what the conflict is here. And he's talking about his spiritual life. He says, no, 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 I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to give in, I can have the strength of my youth. Now, interestingly, the KJV translates this as he satisfies our mouth with good things, Right? So every one of these statements should be in our mouth. They should be part of the ongoing dialogue that we have with God, our conversation. You know, this sort of praise that we find in the psalm is not reserved just for a Sunday service at 4.30. You know, this should be part of our, our Christianity and our life with God, you know. So when, you know, the enemy comes to us and says, you're finished, you know, uh, you don't amount to anything, God's kind of given up on you, we say no. He forgives my iniquities, he heals me from my diseases, he redeems me and he renews my life. Okay, now we're moving from the internal to the external here. This is where we move, he, David moves from speaking about his own heart. Now he's speaking about what has God done for his people. Now this particular section is, is um, comprised of six couplets and it's framed by verse 6 and verse 19 at the beginning of the end of this section, which both describe the character of God's reign. So verse 6 we see he's always working in righteous ways. Now he doesn't deviate from this anyway, right? His judgments, they're fully righteous because God always works according to righteous principles. Verse 7, he has made his way, has made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. So here, David takes us, the readers, as well as himself, back to an event in the past. Now, you might think God has been amazing. Now, he's th you might think, okay, maybe David would take us back to a time where he's got three stones in his pocket and a sling over his shoulder, and there's a giant in the distance. But no, he doesn't do that. He goes back to a time which was actually before David was even alive, right? He goes back, Exodus chapter 6, to Mount Sinai. What happened there? Well, this was a moment in the past where God worked powerfully and victoriously to redeem his people out of Egyptian bondage. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. What an amazing verse. Here we go. We have David again using his knowledge of the Torah. He's fishing back into the Torah to find out this time. He's in the book of Exodus again, and he pulls out Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And David, he has this text in mind, and he begins to kind of spin out the implications for us here. So the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. So we know God's anger comes. It comes slowly. A lot of mercy has to have been shown before that. His mercy is free. His mercy, he delights in giving it. When he gives his mercy to us, it, he has no, um, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, um, 
He has no hidden motive. That's what I was looking for. And it's not based on any merit of that merit that, that we have achieved, nothing that we have done, right? You know, God's anger it doesn't, it doesn't last forever. Um, and God's compassion, it doesn't fail David, and it will not fail us if we put our trust in him. We move to verse 10. One of the most precious statements, I think, in Scripture. Let's take a look at this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Now, David, he knew the slow anger and abounding love of God personally, right? He knew that his sin, as well as the sin of his people, should have deserved far stricter judgment and discipline than it ultimately received, right? And we know under the the new covenant that we live in, this rings true for us as well, right? Christ, he's bore our sins on our behalf, the great substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what a joy that is. What a reason to praise him today. Now, Charles Charles Spurgeon, he comments, he says, we ought to praise God for what he has not done as well as what he has wrought for us. Even the negative side deserves our adoring gratitude. So we can praise God today for not dealing with our sins the way in which they deserve. Now, verse 11 and 12 here, David introduces for us an infinite, infinite pictures. Um, It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, this is a photo that my mother took back in South Africa in a game reserve called the Khalakhadi. Let's all say Khalakhadi together. That was a lot better than I was anticipating. Um, And uh, she's a big fan of taking photos of the Milky Way. And I looked up some stats for us, okay? Now, the distance from the earth to the sun, 149 million kilometers, okay? We can kind of get a sense of that. We can kind of see the sun. Inside the Milky Way galaxy, we have over 4,000 solar systems, right? We're just one of those solar systems in and amongst that. And from the one side to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy, it's 100,000 light years across. Now, I don't really know what that means, but I know it's pretty far, right? And we don't know, what did David really have in mind when he said this phrase, as high as the heavens are above the earth, but we can believe it to be significantly vast. And I hope this picture kind of gives you a bit of a sense of that, right? Because David here, he's using language to help his readers, to help us understand Yahweh's extensive and great love for his people. Verse 12 was, as I said, as far as the east is from the west. And you might wonder, why didn't he say as far as the north is from the south, right? But if we think about it, if we're traveling north, we hit the North Pole and we go over the other side, now we're traveling south again. But if we travel east, we never really bump up to west. We just keep going east forever and ever and ever. And that's as far as God has removed our sins from us. Okay, if we skip down to verse 17, we find another statement of infinity here, from everlasting to everlasting. Um, and as a new dad, as we can all tell at the back there, he's doing a great job so far, um, <laughs> I can learn a lot about what it means to be a good father by looking at God's fatherhood, right? Um, and in these, these two verses, we find there's three requirements that we must meet to receive God's everlasting love. Now, what are they? Well, the first one is to fear him, right? Now, fearing God is not another requirement that we add to the list of things we need to do to be Christians. No, no, no. Fearing God is the way that we do the covenant that we have with God, right? We come to God with awe. We come to God with humility. We come to God with broken and contrite hearts asking him to save us, right? Um, You know, it says we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Okay, so fearing him, that's the first one. The second one is keeping his 
covenant, right? Now, we live on this side of the cross in comparison to David. So the only covenant that I declare is the blood-brought covenant brought by Jesus, perishing as a substitute for me and for you. Um, I have to hold fast to him as my only hope, and I put absolutely no um, uh, hope or trust in my own ability or my own achievements. So to receive God's love, we need to fear him, number one. Number two, we need to keep his covenant. And what's the last one? It is obey his precepts. What does this mean? Well, basically do his commandments, right? Your faith in Christ, guys, must be real. We can't play games, you know? The Bible is plain. Obedience is the sign that your faith is legitimate. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be perfect. I certainly am not. Um, my wife will confirm that over and over. Um, but obedience should be the kind of trajectory of our life as we are going on this uh, relationship with Christ, you know. Repenting of our sins, seeking him as our total savior and redeemer, that's a mark of a Christian life and a Christian experience. Okay, we make it. Everyone okay so far? We all right? No one's fallen asleep yet? Good. <laughs> Alrighty, let's, uh, let's go to our final part here. Verse 19. So this is where he's, we've done the internal, we've done the external. This is where David's uh, psalm shifts, his praise shifts from external to universal. You know, his kingdom, it rules over all angels, all hosts, all dominions. Verse 20 and, 20, 20 and 21. He calls all hosts and angels to join him in blessing the Lord. You know, this is not a solo song here. This is not David in his room with his harp with the door closed. No, no, no. He's asking the whole of creation to join him in worshiping the Lord. And finally, at the end, we see David's exhortation to his own soul to praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, this was, if you remember, was the first verse of this particular psalm. So the way that he started is exactly the same way that he ends. But you get the sense that by the end of the psalm, David has even more reasons to praise the Lord. And remember, David, he had a limited view of God, right? We have the rest of the Old Testament, which he doesn't have, he didn't have. We have the New Testament, Christ has come. You know, so we have a much fuller view. Um, uh, you know, Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died for us. Um, so we have actually even more reasons to praise God than David did. Um, so yeah, let's, let's bring this plane in for landing. Nick and uh, the team, you guys can, can come up in the meantime. So at the end of the psalm, we find David and he is buzzing, right? The beginning of the psalm, he was saying, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He's trying to get his soul to praise God. He was kind of in first gear, but you get the sense by the end of the psalm, he's in fifth gear, he's cruising down the highway. And he is acknowledging who God is. It's almost like he really means it this time, you know. I praise you with all creation. I'm truly praising your name. And I think this particular psalm can be immensely helpful for us in seasons of low affection when you're struggling, if you're feeling far from God, to go to this and remind yourself, these are God's benefits. This is what he has done for us. So the question I have for us today as we finish up is, which of his benefits and promises are you thankful for today? And I want to challenge you. Let's return to what we started with. Where are you camping out with your walk with Jesus today? You know, is your life marked by bitterness and unforgiveness? Or, on the other hand, is your life marked by gratitude and praise? Is your life marked by complaining a lot of the time? 
Or is your life marked by thanksgiving? You know, are you sitting at, the, at a campsite thinking about all the things you don't have that other people have? Or are you crossing the road and pitching your, your tent in a camp, campsite where you're remembering all, all of God's amazing benefits that he has given us in this psalm? Now, the worship leader, Matt Rebin, who we, you guys, some of you will be familiar with, he wrote the song 10,000 Reasons, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. That was his expression of this psalm. And on it he says, if you wake up one morning and you can't think of a reason to bring God some kind of offering or thanks or praise, then you can be sure there's something wrong on your end of the pipeline and not his. We live beneath an unceasing flow of goodness, kindness, greatness, and holiness. And every day we're given reason after reason why Jesus is so completely and utterly worthy of our highest and our best devotion. So in a moment, Matthew's going to come and lead us through communion as we take the blood and we take, we take the wine and we take the, the bread as we remember what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But let's conclude in prayer. In pray. Uh, Nick, you can play a little bit there. Yeah, so let's pray together. Father, we confess that yeah, we have not loved you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, God, and we have not always worshipped you in spirit and in truth. So we ask that you would invade us with your presence, God, your empowering presence, yeah, to enable us to do what we can't do on our own strength, Lord. Yeah, Jesus, we pray today that you'd give us a revelation of what it means to bless your name, and we want to remember all of your amazing and incredible benefits today. Yeah, thank you that you do not deal with us according to our sins as they have been nailed to the cross and have been forgiven. I pray that you grant us an upgrade to our personal and our corporate worship times with you and help us make space for you in our lives and in our church here at CCC. Your Holy Spirit cause us to discover how fond the Father is of us and continue to teach us this astonishing gift that you have invited us into to worship you, the King of Kings, the beautiful one, and as Daniel called you, the Ancient of Days. Yeah, God, we join with David today and we say, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul, and thank you for your promise, God, that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In Jesus' name we pray.